Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. There is one thing that I know that everyone can agree on these days. There is one thing that even Democrats and Republicans see eye to eye on. One thing that conservatives and liberals will all nod their head in agreement on, and that is this. These are some strange times we're living in. Wouldn't you agree? Now, a lot of people will argue why these are strange times. But one thing I think we can agree on is just the speed of the communication that can lead to the speed of the reaction that can all make our heads spin. And it can knock the foundation from underneath us. Some people call us the new USA, the United States of Anxiety. I've read a bunch of comments lately and articles about people saying that these are the worst times to ever be alive. Now, with all due respect, there are many generations before us have had to endure quite a bit more, whether it be pestilence, whether it be war wars, many, many grave situations. And recently at our flagship event called Mastermind, thousands of people flock to this event every year for two and a half days of immersion and personal growth and development. And I shared how in past times things have not only been much worse than this, but it was ultimately the American self-development movement that led to decades and decades and decades of unprecedented growth in prosperity, GDP, and overall well-being and outlook for people. I hope you'll enjoy this presentation on how to make the worst of times the best of times. Perhaps it can encourage you to take some of your worst times and turn them into some of your best times. What's difficult about our particular time that we live in is the modern marvels of things like this. You know, you used to be able to sit out in the front porch and think about things, right? You used to be able to go for a walk and not bring one of these bloody things. You used to be able to go and sit on the potty. And my father used to say, we lived in a very small house, five boys, one girl. And he goes, there's one place I get some peace, sitting on the pot. Not anymore. <laughs> 20 minutes, come on. And what happens is because of the marvel, and it's magnificent, it's fantastic, right? It's right there with us. I, I said to somebody the other day, do you sleep? with your bed near your phone. <laughs> right? So here's the thing. And you wake up first thing in the morning, and off we go. Off we go, and here we go. What do we see? What do we see? It's all headlines, right? No Trump campaign. You don't get to call CNN fake news on the fake news story. Even though we're being fake right now, you can't call us fake. We got the fake news on the fake news on the MSNBC. You are fake news. You're fake news. Fake, you're fake, 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 fake. I'm going to tell you that people believe what they believe and they do what they do and there's people who do this. But I'm going to tell you, as a guy that's had some exposure to some media stuff and all that kind of good stuff behind the scenes, it is not what you think. It is not what you... It's a business. A for-profit business. All of these headlines, it's called click bait. It's to bait you into clicking in and some dude in Lithuania just made a cent. And it's this wacky headline. What? 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 So I'll give you an example. Okay, now these people are, they're actually good at what they do. They're able to garner up an audience and they're able to garner up great animosity. 
On the left, Rachel Maddow. On the right, Glenn Beck. Could you get more excited? My arms are not wide enough. I'd need Joe Nego for this one. <laughs> what if I told you that they have the same agent? Happen to know the lad. Character from New Jersey. You know what he says? They're the same person. Radical over here. Radical over here. Getting people riled up, riled up, riled up, riled up. My old man, you know, now... Mom and dad, they're 86 years of age, for the love of Mary. And the old man, he's watching the news all the time. And I get calls from, that scared of will have his life. I'm like, who? Who? So if I want to know something going on in the world, I wait for the phone call from Dublin, because I'm not watching. And I go, dad, dad, no, come on. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Like, if somebody declares war, I'll find out. Fair? Will I hear about it? So we just boom, boom, it's coming, bang, 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 bang. And it's noisy and it's obnoxious and it's by the bed and they have us and da, 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 da. And we're supposed to be working and instead of thinking and instead of working on ourselves, instead of having a little bit of quiet time, instead of chance to be human. And then on top of that, there's more entertainment. There's all this stuff. And then there's people, right? We do this and we do it. Take it that way. 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 Thank you, Taffy. Thank you, Taffy. Taffy. I know those people. They are boring. I've been in their presence. I'm having a conversation. Anybody in there? Is it me you're looking for? I just asked you a question. There's nothing in your eyes. But they take a picture and 100 million people will watch it. Now, I'm not saying it's all garbage. Sometimes you come across this stuff and it's like, oh, that, that was worth it. Like, that's worth it. Sometimes you've got to keep this stuff. Sometimes it's okay. It's not all terrible. It's coming at us all the time. Right? Am I helping relieve any stress so far? Am I saying that and it's not true here? Is this going on? They say the number one addiction in America today is the phone. Number two is food. Number three is alcohol. The number one addiction in America today. It's just designed. (laughs) So they say that the stress levels in the United States is the highest since they've been recording this in the 50s. One uh, journalist recently put the United States of America, it's no longer the USA, it's the United States of anxiety. It's a lot of anxiety. Would you guys agree? And we all get it. And it's coming to us all the time and it's, it's producing this stress and it's shortening our lives and it's making us sick and it's making us short and frustrated and it makes us crusty and we don't even know why and, that, 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 that. and we don't have time to think and we don't have time to process. We're having a stressful day. So we don't need to be looking for no more sources of stress. Would you guys agree? Can I ask an honest question? Now, I'm not going to kind of bootstrap you and suck it up, but have there been more stressful times than this? Joe, I was hoping for a more enthusiastic response. Okay, okay. One of my favorite things to do in life is to teach Americans about America. Where's all my Canadian friends? I love to do it with you. I just use a different accent and imagine myself colder. 
Okay? A little speaking tip for anybody there. So in my office, how many, how many of you ever toured through Buffini and Company? You ever taken a tour? Anybody do it recently? It's like Disneyland, isn't it? Well, one of the things you'll see in my office is this. And it's a big poster book on presidential campaigns and posters. And I would love to show you some of the stuff in this book. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm not the most politically correct guy in the world. I don't try to be. I just try to be honest and truthful. I'm careful of people's feelings. But I couldn't show you 99% of the political ads of the past because they are ferocious, obnoxious, I mean, racist, I mean, disgraceful stuff. And people go, it's the worst ever, it's the worst. It's never been this, we're falling apart. This is the worst ever, it's the worst ever. And it's the worst ever. <laughs> I'm going to show you a couple of the more genteel ones I could find. Okay. America just fought a war where tons of people died. There was tremendous deprivation, the War of Independence. And they fought against a king in order to have their freedom and be a democracy, right? So the worst thing you could do is dress up somebody shortly after the war and put them in an outfit like this. So this would be like putting a candidate today in a Hitler uniform. Are you guys with me? And these were the posters that ran. Now, by the way, what I really offend about this, this is Andrew Jackson, a good Irish immigrant. Wearing an English crown. That's low. Here's the next one. How about this lad? He's running for president, and this is what his opposition. So he'd served in the war. So they put him on a thousand skulls and called him Murderer Jack. That's nice, isn't it? I would say that's worse than Fox and MSNBC, honest to God. Here's this last one. This one's a fun one. It's about the edgiest one I'm going to show. Hunkers of 10, fire away. The above is a true likeness of 10 cent Jimmy Buchanan, the damned black rats candidate for president. And it's a two-faced jackass. And then on the bottom it says, P.S. Jimmy, you cannot win. (laughs) Folks, this is not the craziest time we've ever lived in. This is not the nutsiest the media's ever been. This is not the most vitriol that's ever been in the marketplace. It's just able to wake us up in the morning now is all. Oh, people are upset with each other. People talk about a divided country and this and that and the other. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's go all the way back in our history. Okay. There was a civil war. Or the southerners called it this latest unpleasantness. <laughs> people were killing each other. Here's the Battle of Antietam. 23,000 Americans died in one day. 643,000 Americans died in the civil war. If the population at the time was 20 million, based on the population today, if that happened today, 10 and a half million Americans would kill each other. Okay? Now, what happens is if one American kills another, it'll be all over the news, it'll be all over your phone, it'll rob your sleep. Is that true? This is what we got through. But wait, it got worse. Some of you thought this was a motivational seminar. We had the war to end all wars. It was called the Great War, the First World War. And Americans got in the game around 1917. Trench warfare. This affected my family. My mother's uncle was in the Royal Irish Fusiliers, an Irish brigade. Irish people will uh, join the British Army throughout history because they paid us. It was a job and it was a fight. Where do I go? <laughs> and so imagine a football field. Eight foot deep trenches on either side, up over the top, charge at the others. The problem with the First World War, they'd invented the machine gun. And so the Irish Fusiliers, 
they always put him at the front and they always made him go first. My mother's uncle was a, one of the leaders and they, what they do is they deliver a crate of whiskey. The lads a drink, up over the top and charge right at the machine guns. He survived. He was the decorated man. I don't know how he survived. Became an alcoholic. My grandmother, I've told stories about her picking her up at the uh, bus station in Dublin when I was a kid. And I always noticed her left hand had these charred marks. I couldn't understand what. One night he came home. He said, that war made me a drunk. Threw his medals in the fire and she dove and took the medals out of the fire. Burnt her hands. And I always could never understand why Nana had these marks on her left hand. These were hard times. 15 million people died in the worst war. 15 million people. I would say they had a right to be anxious. I'm not so sure about us. Are you with me? But wait, it got worse. We're going down before we go up. It's a wonderful life. I haven't got you to the bridge yet. <laughs> Great Depression. 27% unemployment. Look at this picture. Why can't you give my dad a job? Today in the United States, we have 4.3% unemployment. Basically full employment. Now, there's some younger folks I meet all the time. and They're like, I know there's a lot of jobs out there, but I'm just looking for my purpose and I'm looking to make impact. And, and I'm not knocking them eyes. I know I've got some younger folks here, but they're, they're always saying, I want more purpose. Now, first of all, I love the fact that they're thinking about purpose and they want to have uh, more impact in the world and whatever else. And I just say, it's a system, right? It's a, it's a process. You, your first purpose, get a job. <laughs> Move out. Pay rent, right? That's boom. That's one. Check, right? Right? And I'm not knocking people. I'm just saying it. That's the first one. That's the first one. Did you guys not bring your pens? This is not about entertainment. We're supposed to be taking notes tonight. Look, I have a lot to get done here. I don't get a chance to do a lot of family meetings, so stay tuned. There's more coming. So, right, would you guys agree? I'm not knocking the guys. They want purpose. Here's the thing. Where's all the folks under 30 in the room? Let me see your hands nice and high. I'm glad you're here. And here's the deal. Great. Because it's a lot of work redirecting these old farts, let me tell you. But the deal is, your purpose will be revealed. It's an elimination process, not a selection process. If you'd have told me, I actually have one of my young cousins from Ireland here. He's over here at this event. He actually lives, Harry Buffini, you know, can you put your... Well, that home has been in our family for 100 years. And he lives in Harry Buffini's house. Okay, and he's over here and we're having a great chat and doing all these things. He's following us around. And I say, hey, it's the thing. First step, get a job. Okay? Pay the bills. And then I said, here's the thing. Don't, you, right now at 24, do you think? Because he's talking to me and he's like, I said, do you think I thought I'd be doing this one day? I, I'd be painting bridges or something. I had no idea. It's a process of elimination. You do stuff. You get good at it, you analyze it, and you find out what you don't like, and you find out what you do like. And along the way, if you dig, dig, dig down, you'll find a bit of a purpose in the middle of it. Are you guys with me? And away you go. Okay? Not supposed to know today. But wait. It got worse. December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in USS Arizona. You ever been there? To this day, still leaking oil. Still men buried down in there. Okay? Amazing stuff. By the way, have you had a chance to go to the movie Dunkirk? Yeah. Fabulous movie, fabulous movie. And you might want to hold on to your seats. I'm about to wax glowingly about English people. So take a note of this. And 19 years from now, I'll do the same. 
the story behind actual Dunkirk, there's 330,000 men on the beaches. Now, you have to understand that all of Europe was getting plowed under. Blitzkrieg. They were taking over countries in six days. They took over France in five and a half days. But the British government said, we're in trouble. We don't know what to do. And all the British Army could do and all the British Navy could do was save 30,000 guys. And they made a decision in Whitehall, we're going to bring 30,000 guys home. There was 330,000 men on the beach. And we were in the battle for to save Western civilization. And it was the average Brit, anybody who owned a boat. They said, and it was impossible to do, and they wanted to CGI it or whatever else, that you could have walked from the White Cliffs of Dover to Calais on six-foot rubber dinghies, little rowboats, sailboats. The average boat during Dunkirk sat nine people. And the Brits, under fire, civilians brought 300,000 men home. Unbelievable. And they welcomed those guys home. They championed them. They didn't beat them up. They encouraged them. And those fellas went back to war. And they got going. And those fellas went back to war along with a bunch of Yanks and a bunch of Canadians. And my good friend Joe just had the privilege of taking his sons to Normandy. A life-changing experience, right, Joe? Life-changing. And Joe sent me a text because I built it up and I told him. And he sent me a text to him and his boys on the beaches. And he said, always Mr. Insight. He goes, these guys were all my son's age. And then the Yanks are coming. The Yanks are coming. Here we go. And a lot of great stuff happened in regards to making it happen and saving the Western civilization. All of Western civilization. 40 million people died in World War II. We had Korea, the Forgotten War. We had Vietnam, the Nobody Want War. On and on and on and on and on. Where the hell is he going with this and the wonderful life concept? They say a fish discovers water last. Americans have no idea, have no idea of part of their heritage that has made it what it is today. Okay? No idea. Look, you can do socioeconomics when there's war, there's business, and there's this and there's that and whatever else. But I want to share with you, the 20th century was called the American century. I just pointed the bloody worst of all things going on. People had a reason to be nervous, freaked out, out of their minds, depressions, wars, after another, after another, after another. America has led the entire world in an area that Americans have taken so for granted they don't even know its value. America invented the self-development culture, world, and mindset. What they would always attribute it to, and it's attributed, the American spirit. That's what they call it, the American spirit. And they call it that. And it is absolutely 100% traceable and without question. The biggest companies that were established in the last 100 years. Every single founder and CEO, when you look up and go do this, Google the top 100 companies in the 19th century, who founded them, and then you'll see in their bio what book they listened to that made their life. You can't find one out of the top 100. IBM, AT&T, McDonald's, bam, 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 bam. The movie The Founder, which is somewhat accurate and somewhat missing some things. We know some people in the Kroc family. Ray Kroc every day brought a record player and the strangest secret with him and listened to it over and over again when he was 52 and broke and full of diabetes. And when you're broke and full of diabetes, you start a fast food chain. <laughs> so, 
it all started with one man. Does anybody know who Russell Conwell is? We're all very indebted to Russell Conwell because he is the American founder of the self-development movement. You do know his speech and you do know his book. How many of you, by a show of hands, have heard of the phrase, term, speech or book, acres of diamonds? Let me see your hands. Some of you. Well, that's great. Glad you're here. This is why you'll be paying and signing up for next year, because I have lots to teach you. (laughs) Russell Conwell served in the Civil War, actually met with Abraham Lincoln three days before he passed away, talked about the measure of the man and put in one of his books. He was the first motivational speaker. He gave his speech, Acres of Diamonds, 6,150 times. Now, I've been on the road a lot, and I've only done 2,000 seminars, and I had some pretty nice travel arrangements for a lot of that. He gave 6,152. Now, listen, every single dime he ever made from speaking, he put in and he founded a little place called Temple University. There's some Philadelphians. Yeah! Rocky! He built the university. The public speaker just took whatever he made and put it in the speaker. And I'll tell you more about him in a minute. Part of his story was set in ancient Babylon. So another fella heard that story and he got inspired. His name was George Clayson. And from Acres of Diamonds came The Richest Man in Babylon. How many of you read that book? How many of you had read that book before you met me? 1927, a series of articles written in the Denver Post before the Great Depression. That book, I met with two millionaires for lunch, and they said, you should get that book. The third millionaire I met said, you should listen to Jim Rohn. I listened to Jim Rohn. He talks about The Richest Man in Babylon. It was a fine I'm broke. Millionaires tell me, here's how to be rich. I spent $6.95, and that book helped me become a millionaire. And it was written in 1927. Out of that came a fellow by the name of Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah, one of the all-time greats. Oh, by the way, Tuesday morning, I'm going to teach you how to be like Buffett. He has his degree. He has his master's degree. He has a dozen honorary degrees and doctorates. Not a single one of those is in his office. Warren Buffett's office has one certificate in the room. And it is a 10-week Dale Carnegie certification. He took the course for 10 weeks. It changed his life. He became a personal growth guy. He said after week seven, he finally got up the courage to ask his wife to marry him. The only thing hanging in Warren Buffett's office is a 10-week certificate of a personal growth conference that he took when he was a young man. I'm going to give you dozens of examples of the most successful people you've heard of, and we're going to tell you their secret. It's a secret because nobody talks about it. They were all personal growth fellas. Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie commissioned them. Andrew Carnegie was the wealthiest man in the world. He said, let's get this information out. He was a poor young man, but he became, as a young Scottish immigrant, became the richest man in America. He said, we've got to get this information. Andrew Carnegie built 13,000 libraries in the United States with his money because we've just got to get people the information. He met with Napoleon Hill. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you to my database. The best people I know. I want you to interview them. I want you to connect with them. It took them 25 years to write the book, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Another hero that came out of that is a woman by the name of Dorothea Brandt, the forgotten person in the personal growth movement. This woman was incredible. 1933, she was an author. She sold two million copies of her books. She led to the two people that would say, Ogmandino said she was most responsible for changing his life. And Errol Nightingale said it was her and Napoleon Hill. 
There's no record of her. You can't find her. Now, I think one of the things that happened is back in 1930, they probably had a hard time with one of the bastions of personal growth and development being a woman at the time. Fair? So here's the thing. Tomorrow, I'm going to bring Dorothea Brand back to life. Okay? And I'm going to teach you principles that change people's lives. Principles that turned out world changers. One of those world changers, Earl Nightingale. Earl the Pearl. I'm going to teach you some pearls from Earl Nightingale tomorrow. Out of those guys came Norman Vincent Peale and Max William Maltz, Psycho-Cybernetics, and W. Clement Stone with his success system. Out of them came the great Ogmandino, the man who influenced my life enormously. In the second half of the 20th century, the only book that outsold Ogmandino was the Bible. And at 40 years of age, he was a drunk, he'd lost his marriage, and he was standing with $20 in his pocket, looking in the window, going to buy a revolver to shoot himself dead at 40 years of age. Does that sound like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life to you? He heard down St. Pat's Cathedral, downtown Cleveland, went down, they were singing the Ave Maria chorus. And a nun came out and had a chat with him, and she gave him a book by Dorothea Brand. Another little hive of useless information, as my mother calls me. But you dig it, right? Here is Ogmandino serving in his flight squadron in World War II. You know who his commander was? James Stewart was the commander of Ogmandino. And when Ogmandino wrote his book, one of the things you do when you write a book, you get 10 copies and you give it to trusted advisors and truth tellers and how does this become a great book and they give you feedback. The first person who got a manuscript of the greatest salesman in the world was Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart was a personal growth guy. And then some of my personal, Mount Rushmore, Zig, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy. The man. Okay. Two weeks ago, Brian Tracy came from traveling the world. He had just come from Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Christchurch, New Zealand, Canberra. He was speaking in Tehran, back to Dubai. And here's what he said. The whole world is just waking up to personal growth and development. I've never gotten more requests for speaking, and none of them are in America. Les Brown, Les Brown put himself in the hospital because he was in Indochina and Indonesia and all over. The whole world is waking up to what America's had for 125 years. America has this absolute core competency of personal growth and development that absolutely built its people. Boys and girls, I showed you the destitution and the wars and the pestilence and depressions from 1938 to the year 2000 in the history of mankind. No country in the history of the world produced greater prosperity, proper growth, the highest gross domestic product of individual people, not kings and potentates, but of the ordinary man. By a factor of five in 62 years, America became individually, individually promised the pursuit of happiness. Those people became the most successful country in the history of the world. And it was its legacy of personal growth and development that poured it in, that poured it in, that poured it in. Brian Tracy came into the podcast studio two weeks ago. He had an ankle replacement. He comes in. He's gotten a lot frail. I know Brian 25 years coming on in. He had my heart. I went to see him in San Francisco in a seminar. He was saying you should learn other languages. It'll help you grow and make more money. 
I was a poor bloody realtor. I'm standing there in San Francisco, but I was having a nice chat with the guy behind the counter. She says, you are going first class. I'm like, <laughs> and I sat in first class coming home from a Brian Tracy conference. And he got on board and he sat over to the side. And I'm the kind of person I would never, I would never go up and talk to a speaker or something. I would just leave him go. And he sits over and he takes his tray table down and out takes a book, a headset and a, a Walkman. And he went under 30, Google it after, Walkman. <laughs> and the book, he opens up, How to Speak German. And I went, oh, oh. I got a guy who practices what he preaches. I'm going to listen to that guy. And he comes in and he's frail and he's beat up. He's been all over the world. His ankle's bothering him. And he's, you know, he's, he's getting up there. be traveling that much. And we sat down. We spent about an hour and a half just catching up in kibbutzin. I said, well, you want to try and do some of this? And we went into the recording studio. And the, on the glass wall, I got five of the staff and their engineers. And they're getting jiggy with it and doing all of that. And we start, and, I, he's having, and I'm asking him a story. By the way, people think he's as American as apple pie and ice cream. Brian Tracy's Canadian. And I start getting into his Canadian story and where he started. He had a rough upbringing and a rough start. He's living on the streets. He's in a terrible spot. And he's telling me, and it's a real quiet little voice and a whisper. And then I said, what changed it around? And he turned, and fire came out of the man's eyes. And he started talking about personal growth and development and how it changed his life and got him off the streets and made him a multimillionaire and impacted people all over the world and wrote 85 books. And whoosh, 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 whoosh. He was 29 years of age talking about how this had made him and who it made him to be. And I looked up 45 minutes in the recording and I look up at my workers and none of them, heads down, and none of them's working. And they're just taking notes for themselves, the little buggers. <laughs> Fire. And I remember it just hit me. Because I had already decided a year ago I was going to talk about this. And it just hit me. For the love of Mary. Where would you be without this stuff? But folks, I'm not going to downplay myself. I was an ambitious man. I was a hardworking guy. I came to America. 92 books got run off by the car. That all happened. And that made a, a, an ambitious, hardworking guy a little manic. But I'm going to tell you this. I am here today because I committed myself to the unrelenting pursuit of knowledge and growth as a person. And I was going to work on myself and it made me who I am. And I'm sitting there with a kindred spirit. And my soul was on fire talking to this man. We ended up doing two one-hour podcasts instead of a 30-minute recording. And we had to stop it in mid-flow and go, let's come back and do this again. Here's what I know about the 3,000 people in this room. Y'all have somewhere else to go and somewhere else to be. You're here because you're seeking, you're pursuing. Some of you brought a friend. Some of you encouraged somebody to come and you go, you got to get on this train. You got to get on this train. It's the making. It's the making. It's been the making of this country. It's been in the making of its people. And it's so embedded in the culture, we just take it for granted. And the rest of the world is honest to God. I mean, because now what's happened, our podcast in 159 countries, honest to God, we sit down and go, never heard of that one. I'm Bapa Mau Mau. Where is that? Is that a place or is that a thing? Let me tell you this. I want to tell you something honest to God. My assistant, Jeanette's here. Almost every day, we get either cash or a check in the mail. I am so thankful. I am so appreciative. Here's money. 
Now, we'll send it back and we'll tell them about the charities. We don't involve them if they want to do something. They're just so thankful, so appreciative. They're starving for this stuff. And Brian Tracy's traveling all over the bloody world. And it is the DNA of the people in North America. The US and Canada, this is your DNA. It's made you who you are. It's made me. Let me tell you, I wrote this book, The Emigrant Edge, because when I came here, my eyes went like, yes. I went to a seminar. I was in a real estate office. I don't know what I was doing. I was like the rest of you. <laughs> There's no job. I'm, what am I supposed to do? I used to have a pager back in the day. I used to call myself. Oh, I've got a call. I didn't know what to do. So I did what every realtor does. Want to go on caravan? Sure. They look at houses and they feed you. Do you have any buyers? Mm-mm, mm-mm. These, these little do mm-hmm, these circle rolls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should lower the price. Do you have a buyer? Mm-mm, mm-mm. That's how I ate my first three months in real estate. All I want to do is remind us who we are, what we do. I want to encourage you guys to continue to be weird. And read the books and listen to the stuff you've listened to 20 times. Two who you are. And you're going to continue to kick butt and take names. And the next two days, we're going to lay out some facts and some content and some how-tos going to blow your mind. I'm telling you right now, you can make it bigger now than ever before. There'll be more millionaires in the next 50 years in this country than the last 50 years. By a lot. By a lot. There's more capital. There's more access to capital. There's more markets. The size of the markets are enormous. It's unbelievable. Is the real estate business going through massive changes? Of course it is. The fact of the matter is there's more opportunity than ever before. And it's all about putting the good stuff in. So what do we do? We got the MSN. We got the Fox. We got the this. We got the fake news. We got the that. that, that we got the scared of mooch, scared of mooch, and the whole thing. We got the selfie and then this and that. Mm, that's cute. And away we go. And then so, okay, so what do we do? Now, I'm not going to show you a bad thing and a good thing. I'm going to show you two good things. But I'm going to show you the way people are currently consuming information and what they're doing with it. Now, the millennials will love this. My kids will actually take this down. I had to shorten this video because I can only handle about 50 seconds of it. But this is one of these viral videos that people send to their friends and so on and so forth. And it's called How Animals Eat Food. So how many people do you think have watched that? Million? 10 billion? All right. 128 million views. 128 million views. Now, here's the thing. It was a kind of fun. It'll give you a little giggle. Is there anything wrong with it, yes or no? No, it's mental candy. It's mental candy. You go to the hotel and they got a little chocolate thing on the pillow. Don't, Dr. Foreman. Eat it. <laughs> Screw that guy. I'm eating the chocolate. They're starving children in Africa. Somebody put a chocolate on my plate. But you just can't eat it three meals a day. Are you guys with me? So what happens is we feed on it, we feed on it, we feed on it. So I want to share something different with you. On the same YouTube is a message that I watch all the time. Here's the thing. Think, I want to think for a second. Step into my world a bit. There's been times I've had a family member, a close friend, pass away. On the morning, I've got 3,000 people waiting to talk to him. I've had clients that were like family members pass away and I get the message when I pull into town and the next morning with people in the audience that love that person 
and I got 2,000 people and I got to find it in me to fire them up and enthusiastic and be authentic. And then there's life and a bunch of other stuff that happens along the way. And this is my job for a living and you can't come out and go, I'm, uh, I had a rough day. So let's, I won't talk about that for about 12 hours. Uh, if you're in the seminar business, that's not a good opening line. I've watched this particular clip hundreds of times. It's one of the few old scratchy videos of the great Ogmandino. And he lifts my spirits and elevates my heart and fills my mind. I know every bloody word. I've listened to it hundreds of times. I'll typically, when really stuff's going on, I'll play it on an iPad while I'm shaving. I'm going around brushing me. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's just playing in the background. I've listened to it hundreds of times. It has, I don't even know what the levels that has reached my heart and soul and to help me become who I am. Now, I've been responsible for hundreds of views. If you go up on YouTube today, you'll see 26,000. I first started talking about this. How many of you have heard me mention this before? When I started talking about it, it was 7,000. Life-changing, inspirational, from a man who was George Bailey, who was, by the way, best friends with Jimmy Stewart, who wrote books that transformed the country and sold 59 million copies of his book at a time when a bestseller was 8,000. And it's there, and it's free, and it's right there. But how the alligator eats, and how the kangaroo eats, gets 128 million, that costs 26,000. Are you guys following me? Are they both good in their own way, yes or no? One will change your life, change your perspective, put you in a great mood, help you get the listing, help you get the price reduction, help you deal with the challenging person, help you be more kind to your loved ones, help you deal with friction at home, help you do the extra workout, help you go the extra mile, help you make the extra donation, help you live the good life and wonderful life. One's going to help you a wonderful life, one's mental candy. The mental candy is great and it keeps getting better. This is probably the best ever. It's a video that many of you have probably seen. It's called Charlie Bit My Finger. If you've never seen it, I'm going to give you a little mint on your pillow. Here it is. You're probably not getting with the Hilton, so I'm going to give it to you now. So here's Charlie Bit Me Finger. Ouch. Ouch. Ouch, Charlie. Ouch. Charlie, that really hurts. Is that great? Is that great? How many times do you think that's been viewed? Here you go. You ready? 852 million times. One out of every nine people in the world. Now listen to me. If I'd have known that crap was going to do that, I'd have had cameras on these guys all the time. Round the clock. It would have been Alex ate my dinner. Okay, Beverly, where'd you leave the car? I had made a fortune. 850, is it fun? Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale. The man that over 52 CEOs that built the top 100 companies in American history specifically ascribe to him starting them on the road to success. A recording that changed my life today, I heard it was made in 1956. He made it for a sales team. He was going to a wedding, and then back in them days, he recorded this thing, and they put it on a vinyl. Young folks, Google vinyl record. 
and it spread. And it was basically the first viral personal growth and development piece. Earl Nightingale was the first person in history to have a speaking record go gold. It sold a million copies. Earl Nightingale partnered up with Vig Conant, who was a publisher in Chicago, and they formed Nightingale Conant. And from 1960 to 1990, if you bought a cassette tape or if you bought anything regarding personal growth and development, you bought it from Nightingale Conant. They changed the world. Now, the world we live in today is so amazing that you don't have to even buy the record and look around a record player as you're trying to sell smoothie machines or milkshake machines. Now you can get it on your phone for free and listen to it. When you're walking, when you're jogging, when you're working out, whenever, you can put it in your car. The strangest secret. It's to this day. Now, it's 1956. You tweak the language. It's transformative. It's principle-based. How many listens on and watches on YouTube? 58,000. 850 million Charlie bit me fingers. 58,000. Here's the thing. It's easier now to win than ever before. Harvard Institute of Politics said 50% of millennials don't even believe the American dream is possible. 50% of baby boomers do not believe that their kids will have it better than them. On every level, it's so off. I'm going to show you throughout the two days mathematics. I'm going to show you markets. I'm going to show you the future. I'm going to tell you, factually, the next 50 years, there'll be far more millionaires, at least five times the number of millionaires we've been in the last 50. And those principles are never going to change. That's why last Tuesday... On the podcast, I re-released The Strangest Secret. And I put a front on it, and I told, here's what I got from it, and we're going to listen to it, and I changed. Here's the little words, here's what he meant when he said that, and yada, 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 and whatever else. And there you go. And now you can get it for free on your bleeding phone, and just listen to it. Great, watch Charlie's getting his finger bit once. Distract your competition. Send it to him. That means they're not working. (laughs) Get the 10 agents you dislike the most. Got to share this with you, bud. And then turn on the strangest secret. Are you guys with me? So we talk the lineage. Is it a rich heritage? Yes or no? What do you know about all those characters? What do you notice about whether it's Conwell that we didn't know who he was, Acres of Diamonds, and Clayson, and Hill, Carnegie, Mandino, Ziegler, Roan, Maltz, Earl Nightingale. What's the one thing we know about all those guys? They're no longer here. They passed away. And you got Les Brown and and Brian Tracy, who were the youngest guys of that era, are now getting into the twilight of their career. And there's not a lot of stuff to replace it. There's a lot of technique. Here's the thing. You know, there's seminars on neural linguistic programming. It's good technique, but 30 years from now, people won't be watching that. Okay? And different things. There's a lot of technique. The law of attraction. Attracted, attracted, attracted. Some good principles there, but 30 years from now, it'll be replaced by a different technique. Are you guys with me? principles don't change and so that's why i've been getting closer and closer to this all the time to go throw my hat in the ring on some of this stuff and to bring this stuff out that's why we started the podcast we started the podcast right here you guys it took us a year to get to a million it took three months more to get to two million and you guys started that you guys we never went outside we never ran an ad for it i said i'm going to get it to my folks because i want them to get it and we're going to give them the good stuff and give them the good stuff and give them the good stuff and then they shared it with their friends but something happened recently that was just, and all of a sudden, it was like an audible voice, it's time. I've been on the market for 20 years. I was the original disruptor of the real estate business, remember? It was cold call, door knocking, bang, 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 find him, fleece him, forget him. Picture in front of the Rolls Royce, all about me, personal promotion, that, that, that. Do you remember all that? 
And when I came out and I started talking about relationships and loving your customers and building long-term businesses and taking care of them and exceeding their expectations and finding out what they liked and popping by with gifts and personal notes and thinking of them and serving the daylights out of them and blowing them away so they tell everybody. When I first started speaking in small ballrooms, I remember original companies shutting off the lights because they were so ticked off about what I was talking about. And any great revolution in any area, you'll always see years later, they go, well, everybody does it now. Everybody does referral now. Is that true? So here's the thing. In the speaking and training business, typically a fellow writes a book and then goes on the circuit. Right? Or they were on The Apprentice on Tuesday and the book comes out Thursday. Right? And there's a lot of stuff out there. I had a young person walk through my office the other day. And they're in escrow. They're buying their first house, a young couple. And they walk by and I'm coming out of the bathroom. And they go, can I talk to you? And they were kind of waiting for me, stalking me right out of the bathroom. I go, what's up? They go, we're in escrow, but... Ah. I read this article. This blogger told me the real estate business is going down. I shouldn't own a home. You're mad to own. You should rent. I don't know what to do. I said, fine. Come on into my office. (laughs) All right, let's Google old Charlie boy here. Let's find out who he is. Oh, he's 28. Okay, great. Oh, oh, he doesn't actually own a home. Okay. Oh, all right. He had a difficult period, apparently, right after college. That's interesting. Now, I'm not saying a young person can't make a decision. I was 28 when I started this business. Michelangelo was 23 when he wrote the P.A. I mean, there's many, many great examples. But if you're going to be given advice in real estate, it helps to at least study the people who've been around a long time because real estate's a long-term hold. Is that a true statement? And you've got to go through recessions and ups and downs and this and that. And it's proven to be, without question, the single greatest investment in the history of North America. And the average renter and the average homeowner, the average homeowner is 46 times the net worth of the average bleeding renter. And after the fire was coming out of my eyes, they said, I'm fine, I'm good. So we're drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. So that's why after 21 years, two days ago, we launched a little book called The Emigrant Edge, right? Good stuff. Put some info out in the marketplace. Kind of some neat stuff happening with this, you know. New York, they say, if you can make it there, you can make it. So Fifth Avenue in New York, that's the largest Barnes & Noble in the world. And on the featured book on the outside, day one, who knew? There it was, life-size, there we go. Yep. Two days in uh, Amazon, and here we were in small business and entrepreneurship. We got to number two. Miracle Morning's been out a long time. There's a fella at number three, Elon. I think he sells uh, perfume. Musk is his name. I think he's... I don't know what he does. Electric cars? So that's why the book came out. That's why the podcast came out. And we're putting that stuff out in the marketplace, putting it out in the marketplace, putting it out in the marketplace, going places. It's going places that I don't have to go on airplanes to go. Does that make sense? And we're getting it out and getting it out. And so many of our clients are like, Brian, don't leave us, don't leave us, don't leave us. Keep going. Let me share with you. I ain't going nowhere. Okay? (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. I'm bringing them over here. I'm bringing them this way. I'm not going that way. I'm not going to be thinking something. I'm not going that way. I'm bringing those guys over here back to the lineage. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm going to expose them to the principles that have been around for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years that just work. A great example. I've been doing all these radio interviews, all kind, you know, some cool stuff, Entrepreneur USA Today, all these different stuff. But I did this radio show in Canada. And it's a mother-daughter team. And they're like rock style and it's this and that. And they're just hot, hot, hot. 
And so we're going to give you eight minutes and this and that. And the producer's on. And da, 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 da. Now, what all these interviews have done is put me back into real estate mode. The way I do it, I'm going on a listing appointment. And my staff's kind of looking at me. And I'm Googling, find out this. And I know more about every one of those interviewers than they know about me. So their word is fabulous. So everything's fabulous, fab, fabulous. Oh my God, we love this guy. So I'm like, before I get on the call, and I'm not speaking out of school because it's on the homepage of their website. It said, our we believes. <clears throat> we believes. Values, principles. <laughs> so I pull them up. And the third we believe was, ladies, if a guy brings you home and he doesn't have any books, don't sleep with him. <laughs> Girls, got some great insight for you. Might want to write this one down. Now, I didn't get on me high horse. I didn't do this. I didn't react. And it was in there. We're going to give you eight minutes and this and that. And that blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. I just poured out the good stuff and poured out the good stuff and poured out the good stuff. We get to the first break. They go, can you do eight minutes more? I'm like, baby, I can do days. <laughs> and we do eight minutes more and we do eight minutes more and we get to the break and they go, can you do eight minutes more? I go, yeah, we're good. And they're like, this is the greatest interview ever. No, no, this is one of the top radio shows in Canada. Da, 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 da. And during the break, they go, oh my God, we booked this other clown. We've got to go to him. But let me, we want to be, what are you doing? How do you do it? Da, 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 da. And we'd have this and that and the other. And we just want more. And we brought him this way. I didn't bring me that way. We brought him to the good stuff and the good stuff and the good stuff and the good stuff. And I'm getting off the phone and the producer says, can you send me one of your books? And I said, do you have a hot date? I'm not interested in leading anybody astray here, pal. I don't have a Messiah complex. Here's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to inspire a whole bunch of people that rediscover all the great principles that are out there and to have their bell rung. There's people in this room who'll be doing it. There better be. There better be. And you might do it one-to-one. You might do it in groups at a time. You might do it in your small groups. You might do it in your business community. You might do it with your database. You might do it as a, as a teacher. You might do it as a mentor. You might do it as a public speaker. I don't know. You might do it as an author. I don't know. I'm a bleeding house painter. But I just gave you the lineage of where my education is. And that's been the making of me. You see, I discovered along the way that I was a diamond in the rough. Now, I've never said out and like that to any audience ever because I've always I'm Irish and we play ourselves down the gift of being Irish we don't take ourselves too seriously we don't take anyone else seriously but we have a great knack in not talking ourselves down so I'll always give you I was in the bottom half of my class if wasn't people like me there wouldn't be a top half you've heard that a few times and I'm with this and I'm with that and I'm an ordinary guy and whatever else here's the truth of the matter I don't live an ordinary life I know that and it turns out I was a diamond in the rough still am little rough here and there smooth on occasion but this is the stuff that knocked the lump off me. Paris and growth and development. Trying stuff. Trying stuff. Didn't quite work out. Try it again. When I was first doing Popeyes, my first Popeyes were pathetic. I'd ring the door of someone I really liked and appreciated. And I'd bring them something. they go, what the hell is that? <laughs> well, I would, thought it was a bad idea and I just wanted to get some feedback. <laughs> Do you need any ketchup? <laughs> I tried stuff. And what happened is bit by bit and mentors and teachers and trainers and coaches and consultants and knocked the chips off and knocked the lumps off and knocked the lumps off and knocked the lumps off. And bit by bit, more of a diamond starts to show, more and more of a diamond starts to show, more and more of a diamond starts to show. Russell Conwell was a been there, done that guy. 
Okay, he built Temple University from his speaking fees. Then he became a minister. They were doing a fundraising, right? So he built this huge university, and then they came to this church that was falling down. He said, we've got to build a church. So he said, let's, let's go build a proper church here. And one little girl caught on fire for this, and she started doing bake sales and this and that. She was nine years of age, and she saved 57 cents, and then she caught diphtheria and died. But she wrote a note on her deathbed to leave 57 cents to Pastor Conwell. But Pastor Conwell had been a been there, done there guy, and he took the pennies and he sold each one of them for three hundred dollars back in eighteen eighty. And then what happened is every person who bought a penny for three hundred dollars, they were called I can't remember her first name, it was like Alendra's Mite, right? The, the widow's mite, and they had her first name and the mite, and people bought the three hundred dollar penny and then gave him back the penny and he resold the penny, and he built the largest church in America. The first mega church in America. This guy was a been there, done that guy. And you see what he did was he lived his practice. You know what that book is all about? That book is the foundation of what we teach in Working by Referral. What happened was he was on a trip overseas and they had a guide and they said, do you know about Ali Hafed? This is where Ali Hafed came from. And he goes, who the heck is Ali Hafed? And he goes, the most famous man in these parts. Well, what's the story? Ali Hafid was an ambitious man. He wanted to grow. He went to the Taj and he saw his jewels and he said he wanted to be wealthy and he wanted to have jewels and he wanted to be the wealthiest man around. And he had a land that had been given to him that had been in his family for three generations and he sold the land. And off he went. Now, no one knows whatever happened to him, but they know what happened to the land that Ali Hafid sold because what he sold was what's called a Golconda mine. Anybody know anything about diamonds? You ever heard of a Golconda diamond? The largest diamonds in the world. The diamonds in the Queen of England's crown jewels. The Tsar's crown jewels. Okay. The king of uh, Iran, all over the world. The Hope Diamond. You ever heard of that? It came from the Golconda mine. Real place. One of the diamonds, 275 carats. That's a lot of vegetables. (laughs) It was sold for pennies, that land. And right underneath, right underneath Ali Hafed's feet, if he took his eyes off of this, I need this, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, it's not enough, I got to go where it's enough. And everything was underneath his feet. And Russell Conwell had a bolt of lightning and said, I bet that's not the only man who ever did that. And he started researching and looking. And guess what? Up in Northern California, I know I got a lot of no-cals here, the Sutter Gold Mine. The Sutter Gold Mine was a lad that sold his family's farm for $1,000 and went up to Oregon to try to chase gold and died a pauper. Between 1849 and 1859, $38 million worth of gold came out of the Sutter farm. A hundred and some years ago, 50 years ago. Right underneath his feet. The largest oil field in Pennsylvania was sold by a fella who was absolutely went to study and learned the oil business, went to Texas. So he sold his land for $832. It was the largest oil field in the East Coast, right underneath his feet. The largest silver mine in the East Coast was in Massachusetts. And a man who was, listen, he was a mineralogist. And he sold a family farm and went to Minnesota and a guy bought the farm and knocked over the wall and he saw a big shiny silver thing, the largest silver mine. You go, okay, great. I'm going to start digging in the backyard. Listen to me. People like John Wanamaker heard this. And John Wanamaker said, everything I need is underneath my feet. So what did he do? He went to the department store in New York that was going into foreclosure. Came alongside the lady and says, I'll make you a partner even though you're bankrupt. Went to the park every day and started watching what ladies were wearing. 
And after five days, that bonnet, that dress, those shoes, that bag, nothing else. Don't stock anything else. And when they sold out of that, he went back to the park and went back to the park. Wanamaker stores, he is the inventor of the modern department stores, the Wanamaker Mile. Multi, multi-millionaire. Hundreds of examples. You ever heard of this guy, Andrew Carnegie? Andrew Carnegie is a Scottish immigrant and he came from Scotland and he's working in a steel mill. And he gets promoted off the floor to be an assistant, a runner. But he was ambitious and he wanted to go do this and he wanted to go do that. And he read Acres of Diamonds and he said, my God, I don't know anything about steel business, but I'm working for the guy that runs the place. Maybe I learned from him. And he said, maybe every opportunity I could ever imagine is right here. And he went to study and he went to work on himself. And he became the wealthiest man in the world. Bible all those libraries led to think and grow rich. Are you guys following this at all? Here's the thing. The entire work and buy referral system is built on the principle of Acre Diamonds. Everything you need is in your database. Everything you want is with your current opportunity. It's this person with that opportunity. That's where the eyes open. Are you guys with me? The reason I wrote The Emigrant Edge is I want people to tap into their history, who they are and where they came from, and apply their acres of diamonds with this emigrant mindset of the people who came before them, your forebears, your ancestors. Go after, dig in your own backyard, and go and become as successful as you're capable of being. Are you guys with me? That's what we're after. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's program. As you listen to all the names of the American self-development movement, These men and women have influenced my life so deeply and profoundly. And if you truly desire success and you're hungry enough to pursue it, I hope you'll dig in and research their works. My hope is it will benefit you as much as it has me. Well, I really uh, appreciate all your feedback on the reviews, on your emails, on your personal notes. Keep them coming. It always helps me to decide what kind of content to deliver for you here on the show. Please share this show with some of your friends and maybe you have someone who thinks this is the worst of times and they can find out it's actually the best of times if they listen to this program. Well, let me leave you with the words of another person who had a profound impact and benefit in my life and that's my grandfather, Harry. He used to say, may the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.